This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Bob Stocking from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And if you're like me, you've got a shirt that says, I miss tennis, and a heart that says, my favorite podcast is the Tennis Podcast. Oh, Bob, thank you so much. He misses tennis. He missed tennis. It's past tense now because it's back, uh, as are we. Bob, thank you so much for your support uh, in our Kickstarter at the end of last year and helping us to produce all of these shows, which I think number about 80 so far this year, Catherine. You enjoyed it? It's quite a lot, isn't it? I definitely enjoyed Bob. (laughs) a lot of love for Bob. Um, Bob Stocking is an excellent name. It sounds like a, a character in a rom-com. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Good work, Bob. Uh, or, or a character in a sort of It's a Wonderful Life type film. Yeah. All good options. Yeah, quite the gamut of options from uh, from Bob there. Um, the uh, I Miss Tennis t-shirt is no more, folks. You can't get that anymore. We've discontinued it because tennis is back. Do you think they're going to start appearing on eBay for hugely inflated prices? <laughs> well, if they do... And, well, and the product description will say, only 400 of these were made. Yeah. Limited edition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if they do, make sure that you give your proceeds, your profits, to the COVID-19 response uh, fund, which is exactly what we did. And we raised £308.75, which I paid today. So uh, thank you to everybody who bought a, a T-shirt, which is, a, which is fantastic. Uh, we now have a, a replacement. We have the I Love Tennis T-shirt in many different colours. It'll uh, never go out of fashion. No, uh, unless you just suddenly decide, do you know what? I'm just not into it anymore. I don't like this knocking a ball does that around. Ever, does that ever happen? Like, if you're into a sport, it, does anybody ever, like, just stop being into a sport? Yeah. I, I feel like it's you're into something from from childhood and then that's it. I was the, be- I was the biggest... You can't, w- you're going to say wrestling, aren't yeah, you? It's not a sport. It's was- not a sport. That's entertainment. That's like going off... Um, you know, Love Island or something. No, because it it became entertainment when it started calling itself the World Wrestling Entertainment. I was in the WWF days, you see, and it was different then. Um, but Before yeah, they I got went, sued by the World Wildlife Fund. <laughs> probably something like that. But yeah, I went off it. So um, kind of. Yeah, but I think that's just growing up. I think right. that's different. Now might be the biggest test. 
Yeah. Like, if you can get through this period still loving your sport, you're probably going to always yeah. love it. I can feel myself going off championship football if things... <laughs> Oh, I'm well into that. Continue the way they are going. I can't remember too much more uh, about it now. But, oh, um, God. You know. Okay. Yeah. Move, the, move this show along, Dave. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, we miss tennis. We love tennis. Tennis is back, and it is back courtesy of two tournaments in Lexington and Prague, um, which have taken place over the last week. That meant that Catherine Whitaker was presenting tennis on television once more. Matt, round of applause for Catherine. How good was she? Huh? Splendid. You've made me do a round of applause while holding a microphone in one hand. This is yeah. very, very difficult. But Catherine made presenting telly look very, very easy, as she does. Yeah. Did you enjoy it, Catherine? Yeah, I really did. I mean, total shock to the system. I had to wear non-elasticated waists. I had to get up before... 9am and um, work, had to do work. <laughs> I mean, a lot of that work was watching tennis and talking about it, which is uh, no hardship. I don't expect you to get the violins out for me, but it did take um, a couple of days of adjustment. And I did I did peruse my telly wardrobe and veer towards the items that did have an elasticated waist. Mm. So No longer in the suitcase, which now is yeah. standing up. Yeah, it's been uh, the cobbler. No, I had to removed. repack the suitcase oh. to take to Stockley Park <laughs> containing my, my telly wardrobe. Yeah, my suitcase was only unpacked for a week. Stockley Park is where they do the video assistant referee job, isn't it, for the football? Yes, I've had a, a VAR seminar at Stockley Park. Have you? Mm. Oh, from when you and, did your and football the, work. Um, the BBC f uh, snooker coverage was coming out of a, an adjacent studio at the time, so I was I was mingling with Ken Doherty and uh, Stephen Hendry all week. So blockbuster! Brilliant! It was Brilliant. <laughs> and tennis pundits. Catherine was presenting Amazon Prime Video's coverage of uh, Lexington. Um, we will talk about that. We'll talk about Prague. We're going to be talking about the US Open, people that are playing, people that are not playing, other pullouts uh, this week. We're also going to talk to Dan Evans, the British number one on Life in the Bubble. He arrived over the weekend and uh, I had a chat with him last night. So we'll hear from him about what it's like over there because we can't go this year um, which is going to be a bit weird but um, at least it looks like it is going ahead uh, from a sport playing tennis playing perspective at least there will be something for everybody to watch um, but the the event itself in Lexington am I right in thinking that that was put together in about a month yeah I, I believe four weeks um, was the timeline uh, so John Sanders was the tournament director over there. Um, they had some help from Octagon, the management company, and they do or they haven't past hosted a challenger event there. So they do have some experience of hosting tournaments, but at a very, very, you know, with all due respect, low level. And they, yeah, they threw together this this tour level event at, at four weeks notice, um, which had the eyes of the tennis world on it. Uh, uh, and this the top seed tennis club, which um, is positioned adjacent to a retirement home and with a, a fairly main road running across the back of the centre court, uh, along which there were uh, removals vans and cement mixes and pickup trucks uh, <laughs> interrupting, uh, interrupting the day's tennis frequently. Um, and it was all delightfully quaint and so apt somehow you know because 
tennis is more humble now upon its return and tennis players are having to be more humble. And so it felt kind of really perfect that tennis's return. I know we had Palermo last week and we had Prague, Prague concurrently, which is a more established tour event. But to me, it just felt really perfect that it was as as humbling as it was as a setting and even more perfect that you had kind of tennis's biggest superstars of the moment there, Serena Williams, Coco Goff and Venus Williams, who emerged as a superstar once again. It was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever watched, I think, watching Serena Williams come out onto that court, as you said, with cement mixers, fire engines going past in the background. It it kind of reminded me of a third round FA Cup match when like a Man U go away to some kind of non-league team and Wayne Rooney's crammed in the smallest dressing room you can imagine and comes out onto the pitch and it's this incredibly humbling experience. And yet everyone's just so pleased to have them there and to see them. And there was... There was a kind of romance to it, even though everything was stripped down and stripped away. Um, I think I think anyone who watched that will remember that image for a long, long time of, as you said, Serena, Goff, Venus, just at this little little tennis club in Kentucky. It was it was pretty remarkable. Serena said it was a nostalgic experience. She said it reminded her of her junior days. Um, Venus, Serena, and Venus didn't really play juniors though, did they? They famously. Mm-hmm. Were, were held back from juniors and then unleashed on the tennis world. But I, but I understand the point still stands. I think that you know it's reminiscent of those days when you're you're coming up on the tennis tour and, and trying to establish yourself. Um, uh, yeah, and and it's you know although most of the tennis we watch has big crowds and lots of atmosphere, the majority of professional tennis matches are played in settings more akin to the Topsy Tennis Club in Lexington than to the Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York. Mm. The uh, Let's start with Serena, shall we? Because although she didn't win the tournament, she was the story coming into it. I mean, tennis returning was the biggest story and, and it did appear to go pretty much without a hitch. Didn't hear of any talk of any positive tests over the course of the week. I, I mean, I think it's a huge triumph really for the event to have, have put itself on in that way. And Serena coming out, actually, am I right in saying she lost the first set of her first match? And there was that moment where you just thought, crikey, she looks rusty, but she got herself together pretty quickly and and okay she didn't win the tournament but I, I would have thought she's pretty satisfied with what what she put up this last week yeah I think she'll have been pleased that her opening two rounds did go to three sets I think she she was looking for for competition and and looking for for, for for match play rather than rather than wins I mean obviously she wanted to win the tournament you can't turn that tap off Um but I think it will have pleased her that she improved over the course of the matches. Um, it was interesting. I found that she, yeah, she she was rusty, but she was really aggressive, re- playing really aggressive tennis. And her her policy was to try and hit through the rustiness, to 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 hit through those cobwebs, and it kind of kind of did pan out. Um, so Bernarda Pera in the opening round. By by the third set, she was hitting her stride. Um, 
She's a tricky lefty, isn't she? Yeah, tricky lefty, definitely. And and by that stage, she knew that Venus was waiting in in the second round, I think. Or no, maybe she didn't. Maybe it was the other way around. She knew that Venus was possibly waiting in in the second round. And and I always think that that plays on their mind when they when they know that matchup is on or and it was going or to be Azarenka, if not Venus, wasn't it? Because of that matchup. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, look, I think I think the match with Shelby Rogers, which is the the quarterfinal when uh, when Serena lost. Now, Greg Rosetsky in the Prime Video coverage disagreed with me about this, but I I think tennis wise, it was all right. I, th- I think Shelby Rogers is is a woman quite transformed, really, um, and was was very impressive and does have the sort of game that can trouble Serena. But I think it will just be a little chip at the back of her mind that she won that first set 6-1. She was in strong control and she let it be wrestled from her. And I think I think at this stage, losing tight matches like that, especially from winning positions, is not mentally the baggage that she needs going into the US Open. Um, I think, you know, me- mental baggage and, and pressure is, is something that has been a factor in preventing her from crossing the line to to 24 and I think that yeah that's not what she needs but tennis wise I think she you know seven out of ten by the end of the tournament and I think she'll she'll be okay with that Mm. I thought the most encouraging tennis I saw from her was in a couple of moments against Venus when she really seemed to go up a couple of gears suddenly when she really needed to and it was just illustrative of the fact that those gears are still there and she can find them when she needs to. It was that Um, backhand down the line and the crouched fist pump celebration, wasn't it? That was the here is Serena moment. Yes, it was was her statement. And it was a strange match against Rogers. She she seemed to stop being able to read Rogers' serve suddenly, sort of halfway through the match. She barely got in any return games as that match went on. And I think I mean, to me, she looked quite tired, and I think she, I think she ran out of a little bit of energy, as you said. There's two quite, quite grueling three setters to start the week, and then she found herself in another one. And I, just, I don't know that's that's to be expected. I think I think it was also quite a difficult court to come back on because, quite refreshingly, it was quite quick, and I think it was quite difficult maybe to find a little bit of rhythm initially and she was rusty in that first match but she did get better so overall I think a fairly fairly encouraging week for Serena I I felt I I didn't expect her to win the tournament so the fact that she won a couple of matches did you expect to win the tournament Matt well let's not go there let's not go there (laughs) but well I I mean I didn't that was I didn't really expect anyone to win it so I plucked out the air and um it was better plucking than David did yeah, we've had two shocking weeks. I mean, you know, we talk about the return of tennis players and the rust that they might feel. Well, you can extend that to predictions of tennis results because I think so far that's two weeks in which we've put the newsletter out with the predictions in and my player has already gone out before the tennis podcast newsletter has been sent. Uh, Arena Sabalenka I went for, who played Coco Golf in a really fun match. I mean, it was all over the place wasn't it, it really you know, was. I think I think it went five two to one player and then six five to the other and then you know it was all over the shop uh, before Coco Goff eventually got the win and you went for 
Goff, didn't you, Catherine? So you have minor I bragging rights. did, because I think at the stage when we submitted our predictions, I had already watched her first round match, which was, and I can't remember who that was against. It was against a qualifier, and it was three sets. That Sabalenka Caroline match was the second Dol round. Ah, Dollahide, yes. Dollahide. Um, and I was very, I was just very, very impressed. She, she has improved. She has spent the last five months transforming herself into an activist for social justice and a better tennis player. <laughs> um, and that blows my mind. Um, she wasn't able to sustain it in that semi-final um, against Jennifer Brady. Um, Perhaps not that surprising because the, the round before is when she beat Ons Jabeur, who was just playing impeccable tennis for an hour and a bit and was a set and four two up and and it seemed as though Goff basically exhausted most of her reserves in order to turn that around well and found some more reserves because she was learning on the job against Ons Jabeur I found that match absolutely fascinating because she was she was bamboozled for a set and a half she was a set and a breakdown and it was she's it's a bit of a kind of rite of passage for a young inexperienced player playing somebody like Ons Jabeur because how when will she ever have come up against somebody with the the tricks that that Ons Jabeur has you know it's a it's a completely it's yeah it's a completely different proposition to anything she'll have faced in her young career and then she could you could see her figuring it out and she she started to almost kind of mimic her she was throwing her game back at her and kind of hitting shots that I've I've not seen Coco Goff hit before and seeing somebody you know obviously you talk about young players learning on the macro scale but seeing them on the micro scale, learning before your very eyes within a match and implementing that learning as she did in the deciding set, I found mind boggling. And I wonder, I, I don't think she looked physically tired um, in the semi-final against Jennifer Brady. I'm not sure what it would take to make her look physically tired because um, she is the most extraordinary athletic specimen um but i do wonder if she was a bit mentally tired um after the after the week and the competitive outlay that she'd had to to put out there because she was constantly fighting back from from losing positions and playing on Strabo is a is a, is a mind scramble mm. so, someone who knows i work in tennis but doesn't know anything about tennis asked me who my favorite player to watch was the other day and i, I and i sort of instinctively just said Ons Jabeur. And of course, they have no idea who Ons Jabeur is at all. Um, so then I sort of had to find myself kind of explaining why I like watching her play. And just, it was what you said. She just comes up with shots that other people do not come up with. And that is so exciting to watch. But Goff, Goff managed to make that match a bit of a scrap. And I back Goff in tight situations which is an extraordinary thing to say about a 16 year old because normally you would you would expect experience to help in those situations and you would expect maybe a bit of fragility to to come into her game but it doesn't she gets tougher when it gets tighter and I don't know I'm just so impressed because she seems to be taking it all in her stride as well because I guess I mean the thing about hype is it's that gap isn't it between what you've achieved 
and the way you're talked about. And she is talked about and covered like she is, in a way, a kind of multi-slam champion. She gets that kind of coverage and exposure. So then when she has a week like this where she gets to the semi-finals, she could be expected to think, oh, well, I'm not living up to that kind of talk and that kind of hype. But she doesn't see it like that. She knows that she is ticking off a lot of a lot of boxes as she's going and she's doing it kind of in her own time. She kind of exists outside, I think, of the hype that surrounds her, I find. And and she's kind of comfortable with her place where she is at the moment and making little steps and and just a week like this where she, as you said, has these wins where she's having incredible comebacks in matches and showing us things she hasn't shown before. And yeah, just a just a really, really positive week. And she's now she's now played two events on the tour this year and lost to the eventual champion both times. So, I mean, really good players, informed players are the only ones who are beating Coco Goff at the moment. Mm. Yeah, she she was excellent for, for the most part um, and another positive step for her. I just want to rewind a little bit to the start of that tournament. First of all, to talk about the, the win for Venus Williams over Victoria Azarenka because as jaw-dropping as some of the tennis we saw from from Goff and, and Jabur, who incidentally, uh, the way I think of Ons Jabur is she just makes me smile as mm. a viewer. She's um, a joy to watch. And, she and also if, spent two days, I should mention, just if this is the last time we talk about Ons Jabur this episode, spent two days getting to Lexington. Uh, she flew from Tunis to Paris, then Paris to, well, it should have been New York, but her flight got diverted due to a storm to Detroit sat on the tarmac in Detroit for seven hours, uh, then eventually got to fly in to New York where she picked up a hire car and drove the, I think, 12 hours, maybe even more, to Lexington, Kentucky, during which journey she got pulled over by the police and had to talk herself out of a speeding ticket. That story is courtesy of um, the journalist Reem Abelil, and uh, <laughs> it's quite extraordinary. I was so And I was so pleased that she didn't go out in the first round because imagine going to those efforts to get somewhere and then after a day having to go on to the next And, and she place. did lose the first set. She lost the first set she in tw- 29 minutes yeah. <laughs> after that. And she looked so not off. She looked like, oh, for goodness sake. Do you not know what I've been through to yeah. get here? And I, I really sympathised very hard with that. But anyway, she pulled, she it, pulled around it around. And, and she made a decent week out of it. Um, but um, Venus Williams also just... She just played uplifting tennis in the first round. She played tennis that I... I thought was probably in the past, to be honest, against Victoria Azarenka. She absolutely walloped her and showed every little bit of the kind of trademark signals of her game that we have been reliving over the last six weeks. Well, on on Prime this week, we spent a lot of time talking about Venus Williams and the fact that she has emerged from the five-month break with a brand-new service motion and I still don't think we've talked about it enough. Venus Williams is 40 years old. She has won seven Grand Slam titles with her serve. And she spent lockdown developing an entirely new service motion. I I honestly couldn't believe my eyes. My I I'm still floored by it and in awe, in total awe of that fact. I mean, I was going to say it's the most excited I've been watching tennis for a long time. 
obviously there hasn't been tennis to watch. <laughs> but like genuinely, when I saw that, I was suddenly so excited. It was like, well, this is new. And then also she's got a... I mean, her, her new service motion is very obviously different. She's also tweaked her forehand. She's she's changed the take back on that. And it, it looked way more secure with a lot more spin on the ball, I thought, her forehand. And, yeah, she's she's sort of come out of lockdown younger. And she was glowing the whole week. She was really chatty in her encore uh, interview that she did after beating Azarenka. She was, yeah, as you said, uplifting, but also just so impressive, as you said, that she would take the time to actually think, right, how can I improve as a tennis player when she really doesn't need to be doing that, but but she finds it within herself to do it. It was, it was so, so joyous to watch Venus Williams this week. And I, I actually thought she played really well against Serena as well. As I mm. said, there were a couple of moments where Serena raised her game, but overall I thought Venus probably was the the more consistent better player throughout the match and could have won it I, you know I think that might have been of the 31 matches those two have played against each other I think it might have been my favorite and it's in <laughs> Lexington with no crowd and and I think that that was part of it it just felt intimate it didn't feel like an event the way it normally does uh, in you could just concentrate on what wonderful tennis players they are. And and I've always been fascinated by how do their games actually match up when they face each other. And I've never really felt that I've got a handle on it because I've never never known, well, how much is this about a tennis match and how, about is, how much is this is about being stressed out because I'm playing my sister who I love and all the razzmatazz that's around the match. And suddenly you'd got it laid bare right in front of you, just two players playing tennis against one another, two greats of the game. And I, I really loved it. I felt like there wouldn't, I, I wasn't distracted by anything. Um, and, and I enjoy, I, I mean, I, I, look, I want crowds back. I want all of you to be able to go to tennis tournaments. But I also do get something out of just watching these crowdless matches as well. I think there is something to it it elevates the tension in some ways and just makes me look at it in a different way i just i just hope my big takeaway i think from lexington is that i just hope that the the tv producers are given license to raise the levels of the court effects put some extra mics in i want to hear everything you know catherine was doing a great job of just introducing the, the match until the point of when the players came to the net for the coin toss so you could hear the conversation that was going on that's what I want to hear I want all that stuff just raised up and th- I mean they'd got the on the kind of WTA's new courtside coaching thing hadn't they where players could could just be spoken to by their coach mid-match from the stands I just yeah you, you're allowed to that. be heckled by your coach from the stands but you're not allowed to go over and have a grown-up chat with them which is a bit which weird. i sort of love I, I i think they've got to change that i mean there was that, there was oh, that yeah. one moment where coco goff went over to her dad and was just told off by the umpire for for going over to him and it, it was confusing to me it was one of those situations where it felt like no one really knew the rule it felt like the umpire wasn't quite sure about it either and i might be doing her a disservice there but she wasn't explaining it particularly clearly and that might just be because the rule isn't clear and it is it is this kind of gray area um but it it felt like if you're gonna do it just do it properly and let the player go over to them i I felt and as you said have mics to pick up that that conversation i agree with you david there was something 
specific to Venus Serena to why it worked with no crowds. Generally, I felt I really missed crowds and I, I will continue to miss them, I think, because it, you know, there's there's nothing better than an amazing winner punctuated with emotion and passion from a crowd. And yet with Venus and Serena, I think sometimes the crowd can be a little awkward or not quite know what to feel when they're watching those two play each other. And as you said, we got this intimate experience and it was like kind of watching them up close on the practice courts back in the day kind of thing, even though they've kind of travelled this long road to get to where they are. Um, and it, it kind of worked for that match. Generally, I would say that it, it is a diminished viewing experience without fans. Of course it is. And I would, like you, like to see the, the mics picking up more. But yeah, for that one... For that one occasion, I'm quite glad we got Venus Serena like that. But, you know. Beggars can't be choosers, Matt. Indeed. It's, it's, it was I'm, kind of the best of it. I'm still fascinated <laughs> to see what happens when we get to the, the Western Southern Open and then the US Open to see what they do, whether they add any crowd effects, whether they add any virtual crowds in the stands the way the NBA has, which has, has been an interesting one because they've taken – what appear to be live videos of, of those people who've applied or paid in order to be the virtual crowd from their own homes and got them in on a video stream and they're just dotting them around the around on what would have been the seats. You know, that I, I wonder what the US Open will do. We, we haven't been given any information yet about that, so we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, the two women we haven't mentioned yet in Lexington are the two finalists. Uh, I mean, I think you briefly mentioned Jennifer Brady, who won the whole thing without dropping a set. And most of the sets she won really, really easily. Um, and it, was it Jill Teichmann uh, from yes. Switzerland who reached both singles and doubles finals? Uh, who she met in the final. Teitman had a, a fantastic week. I, I, I remember Matt mentioning earlier in the week that uh, she had won Prague, was it, last year? And she Palermo. Won, she won Prague and Palermo last year, which obviously the two events that have taken place in Europe on the clay. And really smart, I think, that she's probably realised that with the new ranking system, there's actually not that much point playing those events because those points will stay on her ranking she doesn't need to defend them they will just stay on so she's gone over to lexington where she can only gain and she's made it all the way through to her i think it was her first hard court quarterfinal semi-final and final correct yeah mm. Mm. and uh, she was she was a revelation i, I mean to me i mean because she kept saying people people only think i can play on clay hmm. and i was like yeah i did <laughs> <laughs> But actually, she was she was great. She was such a strategizer on the court, mm. and really, really intelligent. And you know, she didn't have the toughest route to the final, but she she beat everyone in straight sets to get to the final, and was just really, really impressive. Jennifer yeah. Brady was just awesome all week, though, wasn't she? I mean, the, she absolutely smashed her way past everybody in a wake and and she's been around for a, a couple of years now and has been a good player uh top 50 player or just about but this was another level entirely wasn't it yeah it's definitely time to reframe the way we all think about jennifer brady um and maybe we haven't well almost definitely we all haven't spent very much time thinking about jennifer brady because she's just been one of those players that's 
that's there and kind of plays to their ranking, which bounces between probably 50 and 100. I think she briefly dipped outside the top 100. She'd have had a, a good career, making a good living, nice life probably. And she decided actually before lockdown, um, the end of last season, she decided that wasn't enough for her and she wanted to to strive for more. She made the decision to to move to Germany to work with a, a German coach, Michael Dessera, spent her off-season there, completely transforming herself. I know sort of the obvious observation is that she's lost a lot of weight, but I think that is, I think it's slightly dangerous just to talk about it in those terms because we've seen a, a lot of players that are, just drop a lot of weight and it does not make them better tennis players. And actually that, but what worries me what she's yes she she obviously has dropped a considerable amount of weight but she's remained strong um and that I don't think that's easy to to do I think that's a very fine balance to find um and and mentally mentally and technically her her fitness coach has obviously done a great job because she still looks so strong and so athletic and so perfectly balanced. And the fact that she's transformed herself has obviously given her a different mindset and a different confidence. And she was, she was unshakable this week, completely unshakable. She's obviously got those big weapons in the serve and the forehand. And I heard her compared on um, on social media after her first couple of matches to a sort of female Jack Sock. But I think that's unfair on Jennifer Brady because with apologies to Jack Sock, her backhand is is better than Jack Sock's. And it, that reminds me of of Mary Carrillo. You know, you've, you've got to, if you've got a relative weakness, you've got to be able to, to disguise it. And I don't, I, I think that backhand doesn't, doesn't feel like a, a huge weakness. I think she's the real deal now. I really do. Um, I think she'll be top twenty once the once the rankings get back up and running. I feel for her that the rankings are in the situation that they are because she would be a player that would be rocketing. I think, um, and she's going to be held held back from that. But you know, it's interesting looking back at those results at the start of the year. That win over Ash Barty in Brisbane, I now view that differently. At the time I thought I looked at it totally from a Barty perspective, start of the season, pressure of playing at home as a world number one, you know, a blip for Barty rather than the emergence of, of Jennifer Brady. But I think we are looking at the emergence of Jennifer Brady. I went a week early on Jennifer Brady and in our newsletter, I, I, I went for a Jennifer <laughs> we Brady. I went for a Jennifer Brady stat, and the stat was that five of her ten top twenty wins in her whole career came in the first two months of this season. As you said, she beat Ash Barty, she beat Von Drusova, she beat Svitolina Muguruza. I think loads of really great wins, and then suddenly to have to have that momentum stopped in the way it did, it's even more impressive that she's managed to kind of pick up where she left off and. And, and it is interesting how she's compared more to male players. Like, I think because that is the way she hits the ball. She hits it with a lot more spin than a lot of the players on, on the WTA Tour do on her forehand. It's, it also slightly reminds me of Kyle Edmund, the way the way her sort of forehand stands out above her backhand. But again, I think her backhand is, is probably better than Kyle Edmund's as well. And she also seems just like 
the kind of person that you would want to root for. I quite enjoyed her um, her gentle ribbing of Sloane Stevens on on Twitter this week when she said, "Oh, finally, Sloane Stevens has followed me on Twitter." Um, <laughs> <laughs> like after all this time, it's taken it's taken her winning, you know, winning in Lexington to get uh, Sloane Stevens's attention. But that's kind of the point as well. Like she's made, as you said, she's. She's made herself stand out now. I always sort of had her in my mind as one of lots of good American players, but now now she really stands out. And not quite to the level that Kenin has done, obviously, but Kenin had a similar has had a similar trajectory, you know, sort of faster and bigger and scaled up from what Jennifer Brady's doing, obviously by winning the Australian Open, but it's a similar kind of thing. She's making herself stand out from the crowd, and, yeah, it's just deeply, deeply impressive. And it's not impossible that she may end up having a big cut through a draw, maybe not as far as Kenin, but but a significant one. You could see her game hurting a lot of people. And, I mean, use the, the, um, the phrase how you end up comparing her almost to a male player style-wise. And she actually compare, She actually used that reference herself in her one of her press conferences. She said, I grew up playing with boys and I developed mm-hmm. a spin on my ball as a result of that because that's how they were hitting the ball with much more topspin. And, and it kind of reminds me a little bit probably of an Andreescu forehand in, in as much as it's powerful, heavy, but it's got a lot of cover on it it's got that loop with it as well so that if it's not it's not going to spray in the same way i don't think yes there's definitely that margin for error isn't there it's interesting the the courts in lexington every all the pundits were remarking on it all week took spin more than the most courts on on tour i think that's why jill teichman performed so well there because it's kind of a hard court that plays like a clay court. I'm sure Dominic Team would have absolutely loved it. So it'd be interesting to see those that success- that were successful in Lexington transferring that to a slightly less bouncy court. I feel like there's probably a more technical Tennessee term than bouncy, but I'm going with bouncy. Um, yeah, it would be interesting. So I think Jennifer Brady's game will, will cut through for sure, um, but it'll be interesting. Just as a, a final point on, on Lexington, uh, I'm, I should mention the doubles as well, which Teitman was involved in uh, alongside Marie Buskova, who uh, beat Johanna Conta earlier in the week. It was won by Hayley Carter and Luisa Stefani, who were just an irresistible doubles pairing. It was such exciting doubles that they played, um, and, and they won that title. But something that really struck me in the Brady-Teitman final was when Brady was closing in on the first set. And for the first time in the whole week, she just wobbled a little bit mentally. She just, you could see the tension come over her. And it reminded me why tour tennis for us and Grand Slam tennis for us is what it's all about. The difference between that and any of the exhibition tennis that we've seen, where you just you just can feel on their behalf the stress and what it means to them. And you can't recreate that in another format. Um, and we, we love the scoring system as it is, in, uh, certainly as, as people within the sport. But that moment just encapsulated it for me. That was ultimate. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can strip tennis down to its barest parts as it kind of was in Lexington. And yet the pressure of serving out a set, a match, was still there and it still felt... 
and Jennifer Brady was going for her first WTA title and all those things still meant a lot and you could and you could feel it watching her yeah i agree it was it was a reminder we didn't necessarily need a reminder because we know those things to be true but it was it was nice to to have it yeah meanwhile in prague simona halep won the title uh, beat elise mertens in the final great week for halep who looks really just thrilled to be back she looked comfortable there but at the end she wasn't prepared to give a definitive on whether she was going to play the US Open or not she says she will tell us all today in fact she said she will make her decision today now whether she has made that decision or whether there was any room for movement I I don't know by the time you're listening to this we may well have that answer Um, but it is interesting seeing I mean, obviously, she was playing on clay, so my my gut feeling is that she would just continue in Europe and prepare for the French Open. But this this week, just another reminder about, about how she is the perfect clay court player in terms of style on that surface. I, I think if you wanted to put together a player on a clay court, you would design them like Simona Halep. I think the final against Mertens was the highest quality match I've seen since the restart. Um, and it it reminded me of how good Halep is on clay, as you said, because I think of Mertens as kind of a similar player to Halep in many ways. And in, in one respect, she's got an advantage on Halep in that she has a an additional injection of pace, especially on her backhand down the line. And Halep can do that, but Mertens can do it even better. And Mertens started that match brilliantly, breaking serve to love up. And then Halep made these adjustments and you realise that actually she's a far better mover than Elise Mertens and she's far more secure on her forehand and she started hitting it with quite a lot more spin and manoeuvring the ball around. And she won seven games in a row in the middle of the match and just took the match away from Mertens. And yeah, it was a reminder that even if she doesn't go to the US Open, she will probably be the Roland Garros favourite. And it's another example of a player picking up from where she left off. I mean, we've talked so much about whether this break might curtail people's momentum. Well, Jennifer Brady was in great form and Simona Halep was in great form. She'd just won Dubai. So she's now on a she's now on a very long nine match winning streak. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, she was she was kind of shaky at the start of the week. Some real rust. She took, I think, seven match points to win her first match got in a bit of trouble in a couple of other matches, but then by the end, she was she was really flying. I, I don't want to say whether or not she will go to the US Open because, as you said, that news will probably already be out. But I think she's also talked about New York being quite stressful for her in the mm. past and not, not necessarily embracing the atmosphere because it is a very unique atmosphere in New York at the US Open. It is loud and in your face and... I'm not sure she's always... Not anymore. She's not relished that, and it's not like that anymore. And that was an interesting point that was raised again and again about Serena, how how she talked about how relaxing she found playing without crowds. And, you know, possibly, again, speculating here, but not having a crowd in New York might be favourable to Serena. You know, we've seen her get stressed in New York a lot. And she talked this week about how calm she did feel on the court. Now, obviously, the stakes are raised with the US Open. But I do, I just wonder how much the crowd makes her stressed in New York and how much of it is herself. I'm not sure, but it, we, might, we might find out with Serena playing in front of 
no fans in the US Open. I think that's an interesting point to watch out for when we get there. And since we last spoke a week ago for the US Open, we know that Novak Djokovic intends to be there. He signed up to play. He's also going to play the Western Southern Open. He's going to play doubles there as well. Um, sadly, Bianca Andreescu is not. Um, it sounds it's difficult to know how much of that is down to injury and how much of it is down to concerns over the the coronavirus. Um, she certainly doesn't appear fully fit from from the way she's spoken. Um, but that does mean that both of the reigning champions will not be defending their titles. Uh, and yesterday we heard news that Kane Ishikuri has tested positive for COVID nineteen as well in Florida, which means. He He's not making the trip for what would have been the Cincinnati event in New York. Uh, he does intend to get further tests and hopes to be able to play the US Open, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, but uh, let's hope uh, he makes um, a swift recovery. But that is the next tournament on the agenda for everybody. It is time to get into the US Open, the New York bubble, which has been created in order to run these two back-to-back events. Cincinnati, uh, held in New York, is due to take place at the end of this week. I think it starts, the the prime coverage starts on Saturday. So when, when would the qualifying be? Is that Thursday and Friday? Yes. I think so, yes. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. 
So over the last 24 hours, we've been seeing all sorts of pictures of, as Riley Opelka said it, every tennis player imaginable wearing a mask in an airport um, and going off for their tests. One of those players that has uh, gone to New York over the last 24 hours is Dan Evans, the British number one male player. Um, and I, I gave him a call last night to ask him what the first 24, 36 hours in the bubble have been like starting with the airport, which um, is actually the first time he's gone to an airport and taken a flight since coming back from Indian Wells five months ago. So here's what it was like. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it, it was, you know, it was empty. The, the airport was pretty, you know, it, it was like the whole airport was shut pretty much. Um, you know, a lot of shops were shut. Uh, you know, no, no big crowds or anything, so... And, and obviously way less flights, you know, leaving. Um, yeah, aircraft was, you know, was was pretty, was dead. I mean, there was, there was three, three people sat where, in, in where we were sat. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what the, the other part of the plane was like, but, you know, in our part, there was three, three people. So it was pretty empty, uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, it's, it's it's pretty strange. And then you've got to wear your mask the whole time in the flight. Uh, yeah, they served us some food and then that was pretty much that. And um, where were you Where were you flying out of? Was it Heathrow? Yeah, I, I actually flew Heathrow to Dublin to do immigration in Dublin. I just thought it was just a bit easier to do it that way. And... Uh, yeah. So yeah, we flew Heathrow, Dublin, Dublin, uh, New York. Yeah. And and who did you fly with? You, you with Mark? Anybody else? Yeah, I took Mark and Alia. Uh huh. So um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was you know the necessities pretty much. You know, uh, yes, you know you can only have two rooms at the tournament. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's you know, yesterday's obviously it's a pretty different experience to get to a tournament and sit in the room for you know, um, 24 hours waiting for results. So, for, from the I saw a picture Pat Cash posted of I think, I think like a lobby converted into a testing room or something like that. And then is, is that right? And then you sort of get a test, and then you've got to go back to your room, and you just basically just got to stay there. Yeah, I mean, we were just, you, you know, you wasn't, I, I was a bit, you know, because it was obviously not normal. I was a bit like, geez, are we going to be able to order food? Obviously, you can. Sounds stupid, but, you know, you're obviously a bit, just a bit worried and stuff. And then, you know, when we got there, they were, they were helpful. Like, you could order food in and then player services would bring it to you. We just couldn't come out to, to say you got an Uber Eats, you just couldn't pick it up. They would pick it up for you and then bring it to you. Um, you know, sh- strings and stuff like that. They Before we went up to the room, somebody asked, did we want them done for tomorrow? So they could take stuff for you. They did pretty much everything, you know, you could ask of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, like a, a guy just said to us, listen, just make sure you don't please try not to come out of your room and you know that was that was it really just 
you know, left you with the final shot of that and then said they can do whatever you need, really, if you need anything, they can get it. And, and that was that. And, you know, so probably, I think, half ten yesterday till this morning, that was... And then obviously you check your phone in the morning, hoping you're negative, and then about nine o'clock we all find out. So once you find out you're negative, can you just go about your business? No, you sort of need to get, well, yeah, but you need to get accredited um, and then they cut your band off. You get given a blue band, you know, which I'm guessing means you're on quarantine. Um, and then, yeah, and then and then it's, you know, normal stuff. Then I think, you know, we got breakfast. Um, you know, you get accredited in the hotel, breakfast, and then we sort of just, just, uh, yeah, sort of, you know, it's actually rained here today, so it's a bit of a different day as well. You know, to sort of everyone going out and getting getting on the court. You know, people on different timetables as well, with you know arriving different times, like getting results back and stuff. So it's you know, it's a bit of a bit of a strange day, but once it sort of got in the flow of things, it was back back to normal. You know, and is this you and Mark? You both got to get tested. Is that right? Yeah, and and Ali, every, everyone who's in that hotel is tested. Yeah. So, I mean, if if we were to go back a year when you were, I mean, I know it's a week. It would have been a week or two, maybe later. Yeah. But if you if you'd arrive on the day you arrived to New York last year, what would you have been doing? Uh, you know, well, the day I arrived, I'd have you know, gone out, but gone out and had a look round. Then, obviously. Most of the time, the day you arrive, you don't do much, you know. So then, but this would have been Manhattan you know, as opposed to. I mean, exactly. That's what I mean. So, like, you, you would have gone out and had a look around because you've got time. Whereas, you know, yesterday you had time, but you had no time to do anything. There was nothing to do. So that was that was obviously a little strange. Um, you obviously got urges to sort of, you know, come on, let's go, and then you realise you can't. So yeah, it's you know it's just a bit it's a bit different, isn't it? But it's a very it's a very small a small thing in the grand scheme of things to to just to just I'm not saying get used to it, but you know it wasn't it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Where, where is this hotel relative to Manhattan? It's and the long, no, it's probably forty five from the court. It's in Long Island. Yeah, so it's not it's not close, but it's not. But you know, I mean, Manhattan can take an hour some days, maybe more. Mm. What what's what's around? Uh, nothing, nothing really. Um, you know, they've done a decent job with the hotel. It's a big lobby. Um, yeah, they've put a big garden in place to, so people can sit outside. And I actually haven't looked at much else, so I'm not quite sure if there is anything else. What about the site itself? Does it, how does it compare to what it normally is? The site itself actually looks a bit bigger, if that makes sense, because it's obviously you know now they're putting in a lot of you know like gyms and stuff. So there's actually more space because there's no people on the site. You can sit places you don't really you never thought you'd sit before. Um, yeah, so it's it's pretty good. I, I think they've done a good job with the site. 
um, I think practice will obviously be a, be a little easier as well because you know you can only have two on the court. I think that is that's what I, someone told me the other. I'm not sure if that's true. So yeah, it's um, seemed like I practiced today and it, it was it was pretty. It's probably easier than normal to get a court, but that's you know obviously because we're on different timetables time right now. And I suppose different people are coming in at all the time. Yeah, exactly. Aren't they? That, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. We're getting sort of little drip feeds of information about the rules and that sort of thing, but unofficially, what what do you what do you make of what you've received? Um, in terms of of the rules, or yeah, you know, and, like... I mean the way the the way they're running it, and I mean, I suppose there was there was some concern about you've got to hold this bubble, haven't you, in order for this thing to work? You've you've the the hope is that everybody just plays along and that sort of thing. I mean, does it have you have you have you read the rules? Do you feel comfortable with the rules? Yeah, I mean, I think when you enter, when you enter, I think you know what you know what you're getting getting into. I don't think it's a massive a massive thing to be honest with you. If you're entering this tournament or these two tournaments and and you you know you feel the need you can't hold that bubble then you know you probably shouldn't be shouldn't play um i me personally i just you know there's plenty of room in the hotel it's not a small hotel so you know you you've got it's not like you can only stay in the hotel you obviously go to the courts as well so you can you know you can juggle your time between between the two and i think you know you'd know what it's like to be at a tournament a lot of the days at the courts isn't it so you know, you're talking, you know, dinner, okay, a lot of room service, but there's still places downstairs where you can take dinner. Um, you know, there's, there's there's an outdoor area where you could take dinner as well. Um, you know, it's a it's a big hotel with a lot a lot of space. Um, yeah, so that that was my biggest thing is that you know I didn't want to feel crammed, but and not a lot of space and or anywhere to go get fresh air but but there is so that was i don't i don't think anyone will break the bubble to be honest mm. do, how, do you think it'll work do you think do you think this all i mean i know, I know it's, it's it's very early days and it's it's impossible to know obviously but what what's your feeling about what, the way it comes across to you uh, as in the tournament or the bubble I suppose both, really, because I mean, it's it's we're unknown territory, aren't we? And I mean, it has worked in so far in other sports. We've seen it in Premier League in football. We've seen it, you know, the NBA basketball is ongoing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it will work if you know, if people want it to work. It will work. I mean, obviously, you've got you've got some pretty, you know, there's obviously a few names which have dropped out. But I think you've got the, you know, Djokovic was there today. You've got some good players who are still playing the tournament, and only want to and want to, you know, win the tournament. Both of them. So I, I think it will work. I mean, again, I think the players should should really try and make it work for for, for tennis. You know, like you just said, the other sports of of you know. Got on with it, you know. It's obviously, not easy, is it, to not play in front of crowds for you know the NBA, 
and all the other sports. But, you know, the, I think the other sports have got good press from it. You know, the football, Champions League, the other night, it's been obviously pretty, you know, big games. And I think, you know, I, I think I said before that, you know, it'd be pretty iconic to see the, the final of US Open just for once with, you know, just once. Obviously, it's it's forced, but with no crowd, that'll be a hell of a picture, I think. <laughs> yeah. How, how have you found playing with no crowds? I mean, I know, you, I know it's, you've, you've not played tour events, but you've played the Battle of the Brits yeah. and that sort of thing. What do you think you know, it'll be like? It's obviously be very weird. You know, we practiced today on a court with a lot of seats and, you know, it's just something, you know, it's very different when the cameras are there. You still feel, you know, you still know that, you know, the cameras are there and I think... I still think people were feeling pressure out there. It's not like you've got no pressure, you know. It's, uh, you know, that's, I think that thing, that uh, theory of there's no pressure on certain people is is not right, you know. There's still, still going to be huge points and huge uh, moments in matches where people will be nervous. And so, I mean, in that sense, I, th- I think it will work. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, for, what... Hopefully, this is you know one of the only tournaments and only year where this will have to happen. Hmm. And, and finally, how, I mean, how are you feeling? Because when we um, we spoke exactly five months ago, I was looking um, yeah. when Indian Wells had just been cancelled, total unknowns. You know, you, you've had a, a good good month or so. You've been driving all those other people up the wall at uh, that team event. Uh, yeah, and now you're here. Yeah, I think like the majority of people I've seen and watched and think I think everyone's just happy to be back doing you know, sort of what they wanted what, what, what everyone wants to be doing, you know, back on the court preparing for a tournament for the tour to resume. Um yeah, I think that's the overall overriding like feeling for me anyway, is that, you know, we're back to what we what we wanna do, you know, obviously the Battle of the Brits was great and and uh and good stuff, but you know, I mean, here this is the proper, the proper tour. You know, this is um, this is where we all want to be, and you know, good chance to compete again. Do you think you're in good shape for it? I think so. I mean, you can never, never be sure, you know. Um, but I mean, I feel pretty good. I think, you know, I think said before, you know, Jamie give all the Brits a great opportunity to to compete and that definitely set us all you know in good good uh good standing regardless of levels people are going back to play at you know everyone got what they needed out of that and um and along with obviously St George's Hill so I think everyone's I think the Brits should hopefully be get some good success when we get that player good stuff well thanks very much for that very Perfect. interesting um and good luck Cheers, Dave. Cheers, mate. Bye. See you, mate. Bye. See ya. So, Dan Evans inside the New York bubble. Thoughts, Catherine? Um, wow, okay. Um, he gets to call you Dave. That's my <laughs> current thought. Um, Dave, can you only, are you only allowed to call you Dave if you do it in a Brummie accent? Correct, actually, yeah. Dave. I, I, the only people I let call me... Uh, Na- nailed it. 
Call me Dave. Is uh, people who live around here. So, Catherine, you, you might you might earn yourself a little pass once a year Dave, to do it. Dave, right? right I like you, it. You, you've used up three years worth. Uh, I liked. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there is some sort of deadpan comedy gold in there. And he said, "What is there to do?" And he said, "Oh, there's a really big lobby." <laughs> well, there is. <laughs> um, Look, I, I, I really like his attitude, actually. Um, I like his... I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, why should we listen to, to Dan Evans? He's he's discredited or disgraced or whatever. Well, you know, he's been through something which has obviously given him a, a better perspective on the sport and on life and on his place in it all. And he seems to have a pretty healthy appreciation of the big picture, really, and the the intersection of the personal responsibility with the tournament's responsibility to the players and to to the sport um and the fact that those two things are not mutually exclusive um i don't necessarily share his optimism about compliance but i hope he's right and i certainly i'm a bit i'm not enjoying the bandying around of the word overkill um, on social media in reference to the measures in place in the bubble. I mean, yeah, I mean, if it is overkill, great. I certainly don't want underkill. Um, and it, it, in this sort of situation, isn't clarity what every everybody wants? And I think kind of the only way to achieve clarity, I mean, we saw that with lockdown, is to be extreme with the rules and regulations. This is kind of a give people an inch or leave the interpretation of the rules up to people's common sense and, um, yeah, personal interpretation. And you just get lost in a quagmire. I feel like I've spent the last two to three months learning that. Some people think it's fine to go to the beach um, and frolic around like everything's normal. And some people that enrages them more than anything, the fact that people are doing that. So I think strict clarity is pretty much the only way to do this. And like, like um, you said, if you, want, if you want to play, you know what you're getting yourself in for. Absolutely. Everybody has the choice to play. I absolutely respect people's choice not to play. Um, and yeah, there's nothing hidden here. You, you, it's Everybody knew what they were signing up for. And I think that's quite a mature mature approach from dan really yeah it's like dan evans all grown up it's like <laughs> it's like it's also like we've come a long way from those comments he made about jamie murray 18 months ago do you remember at the australian open now he's praising jamie murray very very strongly and very rightly um but i think that's the point isn't it it's like full respect for people who decide not to go to new york no respect for people who decide to go and break the bubble and mess up the rules i think there will be no sympathy whatsoever and quite rightly he said if it, if it, if people want it to work it will work and i think that was quite a quite a good way of saying it if people commit to this and do it properly it can work um personally i mean it sounds to me like a kind of really strict school trip where like all the tennis players are kind of bunking in this hotel together and some players like the prefects have got houses of their own but the rest of them they're in this hotel and they've got to do as they're told. And but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's going to be a test of endurance and stamina. I mean, as I said, I don't think anyone will be cutting anyone any slack if they do break the rules. But it is going to be quite challenging, 
you know, it's going to be a month if you, you know, if you want to get to the final of the US Open, pretty much. Um, so, I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's iconic, like Dan Evans <laughs> is saying, but there is <laughs> there is an element of added intrigue, I suppose. You you failed to um, mention to him that he was three hundred to one, David, and what he thought he? about that. Oh, I, I, I well wasn't... after the ba- after winning the Battle of the Brits, he was three hundred to one. Really? Well, I think that's I don't be- I don't believe in betting. We don't take any betting on this podcast, but uh, that sounds quite good. <laughs> I'm not suggesting you place the bet, David. I'm just using it as a, an ob- it's an objective marker of how the universe views his chances at the US Open. Well, 18-year-old 1991 version of me would have been down the bookies placing that bet. <laughs> I can promise you back in the day when I was off the rails. <laughs> but you're right. No, it's, it is an interesting... I mean, that does seem a loss, doesn't it? I mean, I don't think he can, he will win the US Open, but I would be surprised if he's that long now. Can you text him and tell him he's 300 to 1 and see what his response is? Do you know what I actually, what I did text him afterwards that I forgot to ask him in the interview was, A, are you scared? Um, Which he said no. Um, Because I just wondered whether he was, you know. No. No, Dave. And then I I asked, uh, when will he next be tested and how often? And he he wasn't 100% sure, but he thinks they get tested every four days. Um, is 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 expectation, but uh, not confirmed. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting, won't it? I mean, the whole the whole story. It, every day, the thing could blow up. I mean, we've seen positive tests at a, in other sports and in and in other tennis events, and there is a strict process that they've got mapped out for what to do if that happens. Uh, we don't know all the details, but every day there's more to think about than just tennis matches. I also think it needs to be made very clear to players, and I've no reason to think this isn't being made clear, but that a, a negative test doesn't make you bulletproof, doesn't mean you can behave as if you are risk-free. I think that's a very, very important point to make because as we saw with, uh, well, I mean, we're seeing it all over the board, but in terms of high-profile tennis cases, I think Goran Ivanovic tested negative before testing positive. You can be be pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic and still test negative. You can be in the incubation period stage and test negative. You are not bulletproof if you've had a recent negative test you can still pose a risk to people and I think uh, it just worries me that 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 point isn't getting across you know we saw yesterday on the snooker the MC giving Ronnie O'Sullivan a hug and then shouting don't worry we've both been tested that is I mean just don't get me started on that (laughs) Um, so yeah I just hope that that message is being communicated and and put i'm sure it is but you know people have to listen don't they people have to listen don't leave anything up to anybody's common sense is would be my policy (laughs) okay we'll 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 pass that on (laughs) um uh, a couple of other final points um on the ongoing subject of whether the u.s open winners will have an asterisk against them uh all a matter of opinion of course pam shriver has tweeted uh yes an asterisk for having an open mindset resiliency and grit that should earn the athlete two major titles this is our generation's toughest time if you can succeed in 2020 with a u.s open title then you should be rewarded even more 
I think there is. I think there's a case to be to be made for that. That uh, I, I I'm not quite comfortable with some of the language there. The sort of resiliency and grit. The the sort of reverse implication of that is that those of the elected not to play are lacking in in grit or courage or or resiliency. And I don't think that's. A pro- I'm sure that was a an inadvertent implication, but um, I certainly I, I don't I don't feel that way. I don't feel. Yeah, but absolutely, it's going to take something different and something big to win this US Open. It's certainly going to be interesting, no matter what happens uh, from here. A um, couple of pieces of, of, of sad news. Uh, Robert Ryland has died, aged 100 years of age. Um, he was reported by the New York Times. He's reported as being the first black professional tennis player and for many years a well-regarded coach of younger players and celebrities died on august the 2nd at the age of 100 people stand on his shoulders leslie allen said people that don't even know who he is but they stand on his shoulders today um That's such a great line it is indeed um and billy jean king tweeted bob ryland was barred from playing in white's own in White's only professional tennis leagues until the age of 40, when he became the first black man to do so in 1959. He went on to coach some of the world's top players, rest in peace to a true trailblazer. And also Angela Buxton, uh, a former British tennis player who reached the Wimbledon singles final and also won the doubles alongside Althea Gibson, uh, died at the age of 84 uh, I think over the weekend, actually, and uh, she was she had she and Billie Jean King paid tribute to her as well. Said saddened to hear of the passing of British tennis player Angela Buxton, friend and doubles partner of Althea Gibson. It was wonderful to spend time with her and hear her words about Althea at the unveiling of her statue at the U.S. Open last year. Katrina Adams also said, "My condolences to the family and friends of Angela Buxton after her passing. She was laid to rest today. Angela was a British tennis player who championed the friendship and support of Althea Gibson." when no one else would in a racist era in our sport in the 1950s rest in peace so that's angela buxton and robert ryland um a couple of final points before we finish off for another week here on the tennis podcast lars graf listener and uh, supporter of ours for many, many years, and also chair umpire for 25 years at the top level on the ATP circuit. He's the new China Open tournament director in uh, Beijing. So uh, congratulations to Lars. It'll be kind of sad not to see him uh, in chair umpire chairs anymore, won't it? I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't done that job as much of late. He's been an ATP supervisor, but we see him every year at Queen's. Um, and hopefully you keep continue to listening to uh, the tennis podcast lars <laughs> Keep oh there's no excuse right? to not listen to not listen we won't be accepting that as an excuse no just because you've got a new job doesn't mean you can't listen to us <laughs> so one of, my, one of my all-time favorite moments was david chasing lars graf for a picture <laughs> through the o2 shouting what? his name <laughs> you make me sound like a fanboy <laughs> yeah that's a weird story isn't it that was just for our social media channels <laughs> Yes. Sure. Listen yeah, it's not framed on his wall. I am not I think a fan. Ali Nilly was a bit spooked as to what was going on. 
I did get his autograph. No, I didn't get his autograph. <laughs> um, and just finally, I just want to say hello to Harry Bruce, uh, a listener of ours who wrote over the weekend from a hospital bed in Melbourne. And he's post-surgery. He's obviously had a, a tough time of late and Melbourne in lockdown at the moment because of COVID-19 um, and just sent us a lovely note to to say that he's enjoying the coverage it helps keep him company when obviously it's 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 a, a lonely place to be at the moment a hospital in melbourne um and our very best wishes to you harry thanks very much for your note and uh, and yeah keep listening and we'll we'll keep bringing you podcasts thinking of you harry yeah we can we can promise more podcasts that <laughs> is for sure that much we can have we got we got one later this week haven't we hey. yep. because hey. it's going to be pre what can i call it pre cincinnati event in new york can i call it that i think western and southern must be absolutely beside themselves that people can no longer appropriately call this event cincinnati because mm. the sort of secondary option is to to go for western and southern open yeah. Okay. It's like well, I managed to get through this whole whole week of Lexington coverage, only saying the words bluegrass orthopedics once on air. Well done. You said yeah. about eight times in last week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got your yeah, quota and no in. free orthopedics arrived. So no, I've had nothing. Yeah. So, um, that didn't work um, yeah but we're going to preview the draws have a little look at that we're also going to feature our Lindsay Davenport interview that Catherine did uh, a few weeks ago a couple of months ago now but a really good listen uh, we'll have that for you and then more shows next week and obviously next week um, giving you an update on where things stand with the Western Southern Open and then we'll be building up to daily shows at the US Open and we've sorted Matt's accommodation He's in a caravan, folks. We've got Matt a caravan for the US Open. Isn't that good? I can't wait I mean, to make bonquette jokes. I mean, I've got, I've got two weeks of Alan Partridge jokes lined up, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to say. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's, not it's not New York, not, is it? It's not quite New York. No, it's, yeah, I'm going on an adventurous trip about 10 minutes from my house. Yeah. We thought it would be a bit too much to ask his parents to sort of handle us podcasting at 2am British time uh, from the next ro- next door room. So we've hired Matt his own place for the for the fortnight, um, which means we'll be bringing you daily shows of, uh, of the Tennis Podcast. Hope you're enjoying them. If you are, do leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, do tell your friends if you want to hear uh, dodgy brummy accents from Catherine. You get everything on this show. Uh, and it's all tennis related. Most of it anyway. I'll see you next week. Bye, Dave. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 